This is Dom Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcasts that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Hi, I'm Angela Cialana, and you are listening to The Secrets of Bohemian Rhapsody, where we will discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings of this movie. Joining me today on the panel are Queen fan extraordinaire Joanne Mercier. Hello. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm not sure I'm, I'm the biggest Queen fan there is out there, but I'm a big Queen fan, so... Well, we're happy to have you. And also joining us is a guy we know who pretty much lives and breathes music all day. Is that correct, Steve Nelson? In many ways, that's true, yes. <laughs> well, great. Uh, so we're glad to have you. And um, one could say at this moment that uh, nothing really matters Except oh. talking about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> the puns are going to be flying all the time. Yes. I'm not sure I can keep up. I'm just a poor boy. I'm oh. a poor family. Oh, here we go. All right. So it's, uh, it's a game. It's whoever, on. Whoever counts the number of puns correctly wins a prize. All right. Yeah. So. Um, but first, I want to just remind everybody, uh, like this episode of Secrets and Movies and TV Shows on the SQPN Facebook page. Make sure to retweet it on Twitter and leave us some comments. Subscribe in iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever your favorite podcast app or is or even YouTube. Uh, if you subscribe on YouTube, as I do. Uh, make sure to hit that little bell to make sure you get your notifications when we post new episodes. And above all, guys, make sure to share this podcast with your friends. Help us to grow our community and reach more listeners. So we are going to dive into this. The show must go on, as you might say. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so, She's really, you, what, did you practice these or what? Oh, I... I I've been thinking about this for a long time, y'all. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> so uh, getting into that queen mindset here, uh, let's talk about this movie. What were your expectations, number one, um, when you arrived at the theater? And then how, uh, how did the movie impress you? What were your impressions? What were your thoughts and feelings as you left? So who wants to start? I can jump in if you like. Yeah. <clears throat> So, uh, to be honest, I, I didn't know much of the backstory of Queen. Uh, I grew up, I was in high school in the, in the seventies. And so the songs of Queen were the anthems of my youth, so to speak. I mean, we heard them all the time on the radio, you know, the bands played them, the marching band played them, you know, I heard them everywhere. And so they were the soundtrack of my high school years. 
Um, so I, I went in expecting to be able to hear all of my favorite music. Uh, but I, I really, you know, back in those days, pre-internet, uh, I didn't, I didn't like stalk bands and figure, you know, find out all about the musicians and all about their backstories and things like that. So when I went into the movie, I really had no idea um, what I was going to learn from the story. I just wanted to hear some great music and to, and to learn learn all I could about it. And uh, I was not disappointed. Awesome. So what about you, Joanne? Yeah, I, I don't know if I had any real expectations. Usually when I go to a movie, I, I don't. I usually try to take it as it comes. In fact, I didn't even know this movie was in the pipeline until I had this summer I had attended a movie with some friends and I saw the poster and I went, you're kidding. Oh, <laughs> write this date down. So because like because like you, Steve, Queen had been the part of the soundtrack of my um, of my high school years. So and I kept following them all through the years. So I knew about, you know, some of the backstory with um, Brian being an astrophysicist and, you know, some of Freddie's extra, you know, eccentricities and how Deacon was always the quiet one and Roger was Roger. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, so I knew a lot about them and I had seen them post Freddie um, with Adam Lambert a couple of times. So I said, this is going to be a movie about, queen i wasn't looking at it as a freddie mercury biopic i mm -hmm. really was seeing it as a queen movie and it it did not disappoint the first time blew my mind totally um and, and but i enjoyed it better the second time because there were more people in the theater i had gone the day it opened and um it was um there was hardly anybody there so I kind of, you know, everything was to myself, like, like being home. But the second time there were more people, they were interacting with it. There were younger people sitting next to me, you know, just having a grand old time. So I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it the second time I saw it. What, what piqued my interest was I saw a trailer for the movie and I saw uh, uh, Rami Malek. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had seen him in uh, The Pacific. The uh, HBO series about the the war in, uh, in the Pacific, and when I saw him portraying uh, Freddie Mercury, I was like, "Oh my goodness, I have got to see this movie because <laughs> he becomes Freddie Mercury." Oh I, yeah, I don't know of any other actor that could have pulled off this role than him, and he is phenomenal in this role. Well, and yeah. that was, that's why I had I said I'm going to go see this movie because of the music, and also I wanted to see his performance. Well, at one point, I think, and I hope I'm not getting ahead of us, they had thought of Sasha Baron Cohen for this role. Right. And I, and I went, too tall. <laughs> for one that thing, right? a horrible choice. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh my goodness. you know, because we now know him as Borat and all, all kinds of other people. Right. But no, the, Rami Malek was the perfect, perfect choice for Freddie. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean... Uh, my expectations, personally, I didn't know of Rami Malek. Uh, I don't have HBO, uh, so I'm one of those poor people. But um, <laughs> I I did grow up with Queen also. Um, not that it was it was not the music of my generation. Uh, I'm uh, I'm actually technically a millennial, um, but my dad raised me on classic rock. And so Queen was always playing in our in our home along with, you know, those other bands. So um, Queen was actually one of the, my first CDs. 
So when I saw a trailer for uh, this movie, I thought, oh, I've got to see that. And like you, Joanne, I was thinking of it more as just a fun movie about Queen, um, definitely with a more emphasis on Freddie Mercury, because I think that's really how they marketed it, you know, right. um, yeah. emphasizing him in particular. I mean, when they were the thing, Queen, uh, that's that's something that the media did anyway, right, was to emphasize Freddie as sort of and they they talk about this in the movie too, uh, reflecting how, you know, they're at this press conference and everybody's talking about Freddie and Freddie's personal life and the other band members are like, can we just talk about the music? Right. So, yeah. So that was kind of that was my impression. Um, and uh, I just I loved it. The, I saw it twice. Um, the first time that I saw it, I came out and I really felt like I had had a transcendent experience uh, coming out of that live aid uh, you know, re- recreation. And, uh, I just, it brought me to tears. Um, and the second time it was, uh, I picked up on a lot more details. So, mm-hmm. um, Agreed. so yeah, so we'll get into all that, but you're right, you know, Joanne to kind of set, set the stage for this, um, the history of the production a little bit. I had heard about, uh, this movie, trying to be made uh, with Brian May and Roger Taylor being part of the team to get the the movie together. Um, And it had actually been announced in 2010, all the way back in 2010. Mm. Um, And in 2013, I believe was when Sasha Baron Cohen decided not to be part of it, of the production anymore. So they had to find someone else for that role. And uh, he was, Rami was actually, uh, hired in 2016. Mm. So, uh, so this, this has been a long process for this movie. And a lot of people didn't think that it was actually going to be made because of all the problems. I mean, even the, the original director, uh, Brian Singer, he was actually fired from the film, um, in, uh, December. So, uh, December of 2017. And so, um, yeah, so all these things, people just, you know, thought this, this isn't going to happen, but boy, did it really surprise, I think a lot of people and it just became this big hit. What has been the impressions of people that you've talked to, uh, when you talk about this movie with other people? In my circles, it's not something they'd actually go watch. (laughs) In fact, some of them think, you like Queen? Are you (laughs) kidding? Um, Amongst my friends who who do like Queen and who do, uh, do, you know, like them and have seen them over the years, you know, it was one of those things that you knew would get made at some point because since Freddie's death, Brian and Roger have really, really been very careful with the queen brand, been very careful with the legacy that they're going to leave behind of this band. And, and, and all four of them, they, even though John retired, they, they always say it's all four of them. And even with other people taking the lead singer role in their concerts and stuff, it still is queen. It is essential Mm -hmm. queen. It is quintessential queen. So no matter who's singing Freddie, um, it's, queen and that they've, they've carried it through with this movie. And I could, I couldn't see anybody now, but, but Rami Malek. 
He was perfect casting. And the guy who played Brian, I thought I was looking at the young Brian. He looked so much <laughs> yeah. like him, except for the eyes, because I think Brian's eyes are brown and this guy had blue eyes. Um, it, that's the only change other than that. And I'm surprised they didn't change it. But I don't think they could have made this movie as good as they did until a lot of the technology had caught up with mm-hmm. with That's it. That's something I noticed. Uh, you know, I watched it twice. And the first time I watched it, I was, I was more interested in the story and the music. But the second time then, I started to notice some really fantastic filmography, especially mm-hmm. at the Live Aid concert yeah, and the things that they did there. And I was like, that, that's really well done. I didn't even know how they got that camera from uh, the Freddy, you know, at the piano. And then it goes underneath the piano bench through his legs up to the guitar that Brian's playing with. Did you notice that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I was like, that is really cool. So I, (laughs) I don't know how they do that kind of stuff. I think there's a lot of CGI maybe involved in that. Um, and the crowd, obviously, they did not get that many people in Wembley Stadium. <laughs> in twice. fact, that that stadium, that particular stadium, is torn down, isn't it? Yeah, yes. where yeah, they actually right. had it is torn down. So th- a lot of it was probably CGI, but a lot. But I mean, this footage is out there, and it's so well known for them to take mm. the time to re- replicate it almost down to the millo- millimeter. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's it's if they don't get an Academy Award for that, you know, they, they well, they've lost the boat. That was that was particularly wonderful. The thing I, I couldn't figure out is if the music that they were playing at Live Aid was real Queen or if it was a recreation of that. It was so spot on to me that I couldn't tell. So I happened I happened to research that, Steve, and uh-huh. uh, what I came across was that they actually made a composite of mm-hmm. the actual Queen performing. Then they had um, some studio recording, and it included in that was uh, Rami Malek's performance, as mm-hmm. well as uh, there's a Canadian singer whose name is Mark Martel. And he actually sounds a lot like Freddie Mercury, just naturally. Um, as his natural voice. So he actually um, has been associated with Queen going on tour for what they call um, the ultimate Queen celebration, I think, or Queen Spectacular, Mm -hmm. something like that. It's a a live show, Um, but he sings for that. And so they already had him as someone they knew who could, you know, kind of recreate that sound. So they put all those things together. And then in addition to that, they had people send in recordings of themselves uh, singing certain parts of the songs. Mm-hmm. And then they put all those right. together to make the, mm. the, the crowd, the crowd sound. So, I mean, isn't that just fantastic? I mean, I it felt is. like I was there when I was watching that. Yeah, I was, t- I was totally convinced, you know, I, yeah. you know, I didn't try to listen to them side by side, you know, like an original recording or anything, but I, I could not pick up anything that sounded false to me. I went back after the first time I saw the movie and watched the live aid because it's all over YouTube. Right. And, um, and I just, I was, when I went back for the second time, I said, they, they really, they really did a marvelous job on this. You, you couldn't tell it was that good. Like I'm saying they should win the Academy award just for that. 
just yeah. for that piece of cinematography because you you're not going to get that again uh, so since attention yeah so since we're talking about live aid why don't we just get into it i mean the movie does technically start off with freddie getting ready for live aid live aid's getting ready to uh to launch and so um let's talk about that part and of course we are going to be spoiling the plot of the movie. Yeah, we are. Which, I mean, <laughs> technically, I mean, there are some spoilers. Um, the It's not completely 100% historically accurate, this movie. No. It's it, it's not a documentary for sure. No. So, um, yeah, there are some things that, that you might be spoiled if you haven't seen it. So go watch the movie, come back and listen. But mm-hmm. uh, Live Aid, would have you all actually watched the original broadcast um, when you were, you know, growing up, you were still young. Did you watch Live Aid when it was on TV? I did. It was on MTV, 12 glorious hours of it. <laughs> yeah, I watched parts of it. I, I honestly don't remember if I watched Queen, though. I don't remember. Oh, I remember it. I, I did see that because I waited for them. I knew they were going to be on. Of course, my husband was waiting for David Bowie, but I was waiting. <laughs> I was waiting for Queen and Elton John. So yeah, so my sister and I, we were, we were there. We wanted to see Elton John. So, mm. and <laughs> so you know, I'm not sure we even knew Queen was going to be on there because, you know, they were sort of a late ad. So I don't right. even know if we knew they were going to be on. Somehow I knew it. And I think it was because of the time I was a big MTV fan. So I, I mean, I got into music videos immediately when they came out and I watched it constantly and, and cable was a, such a treat for us. We were newly married and cable, you know, we spent our hard earned money making sure we had cable and all those channels. So we, we spent a lot of time watching MTV. Yeah. And so did you feel like, I mean, you talked about going back and watching uh, the, the performance, the recording of the performance after the, watching the movie I mean, was there anything that struck you details that you really appreciated just from the Live Aid performance recreation that, you know, kind of stoked some memories or anything like that? He really had Freddie down the the entire performance. It, it looks like he must have studied that thing. I mean, he had his mannerisms, his movements. He had the whole thing down. I mean, I couldn't when I watched, I'd love to when I finally get the movie, because I will buy the movie uh, mm-hmm. when it comes out. I want to almost watch it side by side with a YouTube version of Live Aid just to see. Right. You know, because I, I think he really, really got it. Not just the mo- movements, but the essence of his movements. Yeah, I saw in an interview that he uh, worked with a movement coach who would have names for different movements that freddie would have done like i don't know uh uh, make the make the pancakes or something and and it would be like you know a movement that you would kind of uh think about with those the phrase that the movement coach would use and so he would learn all these movements and then the movement coach would just call them out one by one one after the other so that he could kind of go through all those different movements in the same way as Freddie did. So that's kind of how they <laughs> redid that. Ah, the master stroke. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine the, the, uh, the pressure of having to recreate that on something that's so well-known and so well-documented that mm-hmm. you know people are going to be doing exactly what we're doing and critiquing everything <laughs> down to... <laughs> You know, well, he didn't wear the right color shirt or something, you know. <laughs> and they all had the Adidas 
shoe uh, sneakers they wore they still wear adidas on stage uh brian does wow. at least but they all wear the adidas white with the three stripes and, i did not know that yeah and at one point in uh, in one uh, brian's wearing an adidas jacket at one point too and you see it in the that was one of their brands that they wore constantly if you go back to their old footage on on stage you see them all in those shoes they wear every they were they can wear everything else outrageous like freddie would wear the most outrageous things but they always had those shoes they were comfortable wow <laughs> and yeah i even i even heard that um the pepsi cups like even the amount of liquid that was in the pepsi cups on the piano they tried to recreate so i mean just the detail was fabulous um oh and one other thing that the second time um that i watched as uh freddie is kind of leading queen up to the stage you see another band coming down Mm -hmm. and that's actually uh u2 it's supposed to be u2 uh, so even though U2 wasn't right before Queen um, at the actual Live Aid performance, uh, U2 was really famous also, right, for their performance mm-hmm. at Live Aid. And so I guess the the producers of the movie wanted to kind of nod to that. So you kind of see you see this guy who looks a lot like Bono uh, did back then with the mm-hmm. long hair and everything. Uh, so, yeah, that was really neat. And if you watch really carefully, when they show you the footage of the Prince and Princess of Wales going into the box seats to sit down, sitting behind them are the real Brian and Roger. Wow. They're right there. And if you see the actual footage, they what they did was they had some of the um, musicians sit with the Prince and Princess of Wales. So you, they're right behind them. I caught it the second time and I went, oh, Easter egg. So I, I would have hated to have been the continuity person on this movie. <laughs> I mean, think about that. That's a headache and a half. Definitely. Oh, man. So, uh, well, we've, we're getting into, you know, all these different Easter eggs. I want to talk about um, some of your favorite moments because, I mean, there are just so many Right. Um, that uh, I mean, just fly. When I think about this movie, I think about so many different different moments in the life of Freddie and the band. But uh, is, is there any that are kind of jumping out at you that you really, really enjoyed or appreciated? I really like the segment where they were uh, recording Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, they were <laughs> uh, in that little country home and they were experimenting and they were trying all kinds of things. And, you know, you know, and now for the operatic section and, you know, this is, <laughs> I loved it. I mean, I, you know, I'm a musician and I know about rehearsing and I know about ad-libbing and things. And I just, I really got a kick out of that whole segment when they were trying to put that together. Yeah. I think for me, anytime they were creating their music that I found, I, I loved it because I, I like to see that creativity in musicians and being a musician myself, I know what people go through to create a perfect sound or a perfect, um, you know, uh, array of background for something. So to see them go through all that on a, on a, just a funny level, anytime they started talking about the, the song, I'm in love with my car, that was, I would just absolutely <laughs> break yeah. down because it is the strain, one of the strangest songs they've ever done, but it's the, uh, it, it, it's an, a very interesting piece that Roger just loves and he still sings it in concert. <laughs> to this day, he still sings that song in concert. 
never give an inch. No, he hasn't. <laughs> so somebody who brings up that song is the fake uh, record executive that's oh. played by Mike Myers. <laughs> Whom I did not recognize still in the second time I'm looking going, it's that really is Mike Myers. Really? They really yeah. disguised him. I could hear it in his voice, but I had to watch it the second time because I didn't pick it up the first time either. And and somebody said it was him. And I go, really? And then I, I could hear it in his voice after the second time. I was like, all right, I, I'm convinced that's him. <laughs> I just yeah, wanted him so, to start head bopping. I just wanted I him to do that. <laughs> yeah. So so for maybe some of the younger listeners um, who don't know the reference, maybe uh, we can talk about what the actual clever uh, reason for Mike Myers being that character uh, was all about. Oh yeah. It's because of Wayne's world <laughs> party <laughs> on. <laughs> um, and what they did in Wayne's world was they get and Wayne and Garth get in the car with their friends and they want a little Bohemian Rhapsody and they put it in and they all know the words and they all sing to it. And th- I think this is the 25th anniversary of Wayne's world this year. I'm not sure about that. I think it is. So this was basically a tip of the hat to Mike Myers, who put Queen back on the map by putting that in Wayne's world. (laughs) I know, but that it also means that every kid that you see banging their head when that song comes on, it's because of Wayne's world. Exactly. (laughs) But is it though, or is it just the music is so good? Uh, I know. It's probably a little of both, but it's the enduring quality of the song Bohemian Rhapsody. My husband and I were having a, a little disagreement over which was the best rock song ever. He still thinks it's stairway to heaven. And I'm, you know, clearly in the corner of Bohemian Rhapsody because you're never going to get another piece like that again. <laughs> the way that thing is For constructed, sure. no way. So um, one of the maybe uh, just details that I noticed was, um, and I wonder if if this actually happened this way or not, but when that scene where they're talking to the record executive Um, And Freddie's trying to convey the idea of their next album being A Night at the Opera. Um, He plays a very famous opera song. Um, And if you aren't familiar with it and you wanted to look it up, I just thought I might mention that it is a habanera from Carmen, Mm -hmm. uh, which was written by composed by Bizet, who uh, did a fabulous job. So fabulous that we're still uh, everybody knows that song, even if you don't know what it's called, but it is uh, Habanera. So um, any other thoughts? Shows up in car commercials occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they do. It's almost like that's what they do to classical music now. It used to be you'd find classical music in Bugs Bunny. You know, any (laughs) classical music, when I started out, that's where I learned it from. But um, no, I mean, a little bit of background on Queen. Um, When they went into uh, putting together A Night at the Opera, which is where Bohemian Rhapsody is the second to the last piece on that album, um, they had just changed management so that the very first song on that album is is a song called Death on Two Legs. And it's about their first manager who ripped them off. They had had a manager originally who basically took all their money. So it was Freddie's really um, acid tongued lyrics of what this guy did to them. That's how that entire album starts off. And then it goes into so many different directions. But 
Bohemian Rhapsody was the piece that was you know, the penultimate piece of that whole album. He wanted to do something different. Up until then, they had been doing, you know, really rock, hard rock, a little bit of campy stuff in, in Queen 2 with the Fairy Fellas Masterstroke and, and a few other pieces. But when they got to that one, he was just being totally, you know, we're going to mix it all up. But every one of those songs, there was a, you know, it, they, it was still a collaboration. It wasn't, it may have been Freddie's idea, but every one of them contributed something. And that was always Queen's way and still is. They all contribute something. Yeah, so if you watch the credits at the end of the movie and, the, you know, they list all the songs that appeared in the movie. You see that all of them had a song that they had written or, you know, they had performed or whatever. And they're, you're, they're just all over all of that music, like you said. Yeah, they have a very co they have a very distinct distinctive sound. Freddie had a very distinctive voice. Um, Brian, Brian's guitar playing is like no other only because the his red guitar is the one he made he, built, he yeah. built that with his father and he always plays it with a with a farthing not mm -hmm. a pick so that's where so you're getting metal basically metal on metal strings so it creates a different sound um uh, Deacon, the bass lines, yeah, they were, you know, he, until he gets to another one, another one bites the dust. Um, you really hear what he does. And Roger's playing, he, Roger's drum playing, again, underrated, but, but you put all four of those together and they created a distinctive sound. And that's what people hear, still hear now. So when you put another singer in like like Adam Lambert, who doesn't sound like Freddie, yet can camp it up like Freddie <laughs> and, and draw an audience in like Freddie does, that, you know, it's still there. It's still Queen. That's the yeah. whole that's the whole thing. So when they're trying to he's pitching that album, they're all pitching that album. It's not just Freddie. They're all pitching that album. Now, you mentioned Adam Lambert, the current uh, frontman of, of Queen and did you catch his cameo in this movie? Missed it both times. <laughs> I, I heard it was in there, but I missed it yeah. myself. Missed but it do you both know times. which character yes. he played? I do now. Yeah, but missed it both times. Yeah, so when Freddie is at the truck stop and he's talking to Mary on the phone, mm -hmm. uh, there's a truck that comes up and parks and the guy walks by and Freddie watches him as he goes into the men's room. That trucker is Adam Lambert. No, Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> and the funny Who thing knew? about Adam Lambert is he's not a natural dark hair. He's a blonde originally. Uh -huh. When he was before he was on American Idol, um, I believe he was light haired, blonde, and then came on American Idol and he was goth, dark, and he stayed that way. So little American Idol trivia for those of you who care. <laughs> That's an odd role for him to play in that movie. <laughs> it is. I don't but think hey, so. Well, there's no, there's no where else could they put him in? <laughs> I guess. I mean, there's no speaking part, right? I don't. Think. Nope. He doesn't yeah. say a word. No. So, uh, yeah. Um, another little Easter egg um, that we get is at the very beginning, all of the cats. And all of their mm. names. <laughs> and they each had a room in Freddy's house. Uh, so that was that was an Easter egg there. And another big one um, was that I think was featured a few times in the movie, at least twice. 
is that huge portrait of Marlena Dietrich um, in Freddie's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, of course, the um, was a famous photograph from um, what was it? Shanghai, um, Shanghai Express, the movie Shanghai Express. And that was what um, influenced the look for Queen's uh, video of Bohemian Rhapsody. Right. So, um, well, another partly, Easter egg there. I got to I got to I got to say partly because if you see the album cover to Queen 2, which was their second album, it's exactly that formation. It's that four man formation and they right. carried that over to um to Bohemian Rhapsody. So it, 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 he may have been influenced but it showed up on an album cover earlier. I have that album. Still right, in vinyl. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Only way to oh, listen cool. to that music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is. I need to get a turntable. All right. So um, now here I'm going to quiz you guys. So we're talking about now another Easter egg inside the party at uh, Freddie's house. And there is a reference to a song, a very famous song, a couple famous Queen songs. Um, as As Freddie's walking through the party... There are a bunch of girls uh, and they're doing something that uh, is very, very uh, well known. If you saw from behind, maybe I'm giving some clues here. Oh, you see from I know behind. Who that is. I, it's, it's one of two songs. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's either Fat Bottom Girls or Bicycle Ride. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, there are some girls at the party that are riding stationary bikes. Mm -hmm. And so that's yeah, that's a reference to those two songs. Pretty cool. I would not have gotten that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) that tells you I've spent way too much time listening to Queen. (laughs) It's very helpful on this podcast, I got to (laughs) say. So, um, I mean, any other, what, what other, uh, scenes really jumped out at you? Uh, Joanne, what was the scene for you? Oh, there, there was so much that jumped out. I mean, a a third time around will probably help me out (laughs) a little (laughs) bit more. Um, but I mean, some of the scenes of them together interacting, I think the one where he comes back and wants to rejoin the group. I mean, the guys were trying so hard to be mean and nasty to him and they just couldn't. Mm -hmm. So it shows you the depth of um, the feelings that they had for each other as as a group, you know, as bandmates, but also as as friends. They were friends. And I know when I make music with my friends, it, it, it always means a lot more. You know, you can you can play off each other. You can you know what the other one's about to do. There's there's a familiarity. There's a warmness. So that kind of stuff made me, you know, that would jump out at me just knowing a lot about Queen themselves. Yeah, I, I was very interested in the way they handled uh, the age crisis. Right. And, you know, Freddie's diagnosis and how he told the band, although that was, that's not accurate exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And all that, I mean, you know, those are sensitive subjects Mm -hmm. and also, you know, the whole 
uh, gay culture and everything and how they handled that, you know, because they, they wanted it to be obviously a family movie or a movie any audience could see. Mm-hmm. And so and they were being very sensitive in the way they handled all those topics. And I thought it was I thought it was well done, very carefully done and very carefully thought out. Um, yeah. And so I appreciated that because there were no un, really uncomfortable moments for me. No, I, I agree. I agree. And I know the critics took them to task for it. They I don't know what they wanted to see, but I but what they but what they ended up with and what they do see is what Roger and Brian wanted them to see. Which right. Was I think the that love was that they all had for each other. Right. That was that was really um, a theme, I thought, was Freddie's loneliness. Um, you see him lonely, definitely as you know, he kind of starts to go off on his own with Paul and you really see Paul portrayed in a villainous, you know, way. Mm-hmm. And that de- that definitely um, was, I think, the influence of Roger and Brian um, in in the writing of the script. But, um, you know, how they might have um, looked at, at Paul but, you know, you see these scenes of Freddie just kind of walking through. I mean, there's the club where, you know, he's just kind of like he, he's totally overwhelmed with his life. And um, you see him just lonely and um, definitely not the same lively, joyful person that he he is at the beginning or at the end of the movie. So um, I don't know if, if you guys found that to be the case also when you were watching. Yeah, yeah that, that's I, a not, hard one. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I work with a lot of creative people and a few hyper creative people like, like him. And so it wasn't, I've seen that kind of behavior before these wide swings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that didn't surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's plenty of examples in, uh, uh, you know, among musicians where you see that, mm-hmm. you know, um, even, even actors, you know, movie actors and stuff, you see that same sort of wide swings, but that didn't surprise me at all. But I think they, the way they portrayed that, you got a real sense of the the depth of those emotions mm. that they, that he suffered. Yeah, creative folks, musicians, artists, things like people like that. Um, the highs and lows for them are incredible. Uh, I I know it myself. But when you create, what you're doing is you're giving a part of yourself. Mm-hmm. You're putting it out there for people, and and especially nowadays, they can really stomp on it. <laughs> you know, right. in in two seconds. And I don't know how, I I wonder how Freddie would have survived in the social media climate that we have today. You know, exactly the same thing. You know, they showed that one uh, press conference and how he reacted to that. Could you Mm -hmm. see him having to deal with that on a daily basis? Could you see him on Twitter? (laughs) I mean, no, no, Mm -hmm. because musicians are, I mean, musicians are fragile. Artists are fragile because they're giving you a part of themselves. They're creating Mm -hmm. out of their energy. So they put it out there in the hopes that you like it. And if you don't like it, they take it hard. 
You know, mm-hmm. so it, it, they showed a lot of, I think, not just Freddie again, but Brian and Roger, you see when they're creating and when he lets them, supposedly, <laughs> you know, they they know how to create and they're able to do it. They just gave him a lot of leeway because he would come up with the most crazy things and they mm-hmm. would work and they knew a good thing when they saw it. So they never inhibited his creativity, nor did they, I don't think they were ever jealous of it, really, mm-hmm. which takes a lot because musicians are usually pretty jealous of each other at times. <laughs> and yeah, I, do have to, I do have to say on one aside, Alan Leach, I mean, you're destroying my Downton Abbey image of him. <laughs> because ever since he left Downton Abbey, he's been playing villains. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, you know, I love him as an actor. I just stop play, play, go back to Downton Abbey. Can't wait for that movie. <laughs> Steve, what were you going to mention? Oh, I was just, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, it was a very carefully crafted story that the, uh, that the surviving members wanted to tell. Mm. And, and I noticed that there was really no heavy emphasis on that disastrous uh, disco album that Queen put out. <laughs> Ooh, so we don't talk about that one. <laughs> so that's not part of the story. No, in <laughs> fact, good reason. In fact, some of their music, some of their other music, um, never gets used. I mean, they never they talk about Killer Queen, but they never use it. Right. You don't really hear Killer Queen. You really don't hear I'm in love with my car. <laughs> exactly. No one knows what it sounds like unless you go out and buy the album to find out. <laughs> but, you know, there are and, and they don't get to the 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 later ones. You know, I want it all as a it should be the anthem of some generation. Um, and I'm surprised the one I the one that they didn't use. I'm surprised is one that Roger wrote called These Are the Days of Our Lives. Hmm. And it is, it's a, it's a, it's a real retrospect. I figured they would use it at the end because hmm. uh, they do use it in the concert, but I guess that one's a little too personal still for them to, hmm. to put that out there. Cause Roger st- sings it now in concert with Adam and it's, it's a really cool piece. I think the music was very well used though. I mean, hmm. uh, Queen yeah. has such a collection of songs that uh i mean you really can't uh play all of the great songs in the movie uh but um one of the uses of music that i really really loved was who wants to live forever mm. um in that scene where freddie's in the hospital and finding out his diagnosis and um i mean this we talked about the cinematography but to me as he's walking out um of that hospital those doors are like backlit almost like heavenly Mm. with a heavenly glow and you see that other patient sitting down who says ayo you know to him yeah and it was was, powerful it was such um a representation like you said steve very respectful very um solemn almost uh part of the movie but uh, cinematograph- uh, cinematically, they they did such a beautiful job mm. um, with that in particular. And um, another related to that is I'm thinking about when he's actually revealing the news to the band and they're they're practicing in that church, and uh, the the ceiling of the church is blue. And I remember him saying, "We're gonna punch a hole in that 
stadium, mm. the roof of that stadium. They say, well, there's no roof. And he says, well, we're going to punch a hole in the sky. And uh, it's it's such a moment where you just, you know, they're framing the the shot with Freddie right in the middle of that shot. And um, with that blue behind him, it's again, it's almost um, like ethereal in a way. Um, so I really saw a lot of um, shots where it's almost like they're 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 paying tribute to Freddie through the way that that this movie looked. They are definitely they've Freddie has never been far away for them all these years. Yeah, you know, he's still yeah. when you go to a concert, they still put him up on the screen that he sings. Usually it's love of my life with Brian. Um, sometimes it's um, it, it, he is there in Bohemian Rhapsody, of course, Adam stays out of that. And Adam has said it in interviews, I think. And also he said it on stage. I'm here to pay homage to Freddie. I'm not Freddie. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do an imitation. So, mm-hmm. and it's, it, so I think they're always very sensitive to that. And I think that's probably why they didn't want to get too. uh, and I, and I hope this word isn't the wrong one seedy with any of those parts of Freddie's life that mm-hmm. were very well documented that people saw on the, on, in the newspapers and in the, and in, in national Enquirer and stuff like that. I think they wanted to frame it with, but he was more than that. He was more than this outrageous person. He was more than this over excessive, you know, creative that was, you know, spiraling down. He was more than that. Yeah. Right. I think um, one of the other uh, themes that I saw in the movie was this search that Freddie had for his identity. I mean, you think about the very beginning of the movie, he's already um, we're introduced to him as someone who wants to change his name. Right. Uh As Freddie Bulsara. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's this kind of emphasis on exchange with his parents a couple of times where they call him Farouk. And he he says, no, it's Freddie. It's Freddie. And um, even the scene where it's his birthday party. Mm-hmm. And everybody's there at the house with his mom and dad and his sister, and they're passing around the baby pictures Ugh. of Freddie, and they're talking <laughs> about those stories. And Freddie's over there at the piano, and he's playing Happy Birthday, Mr. Mercury, mm. while they're talking about this other person almost, you know, behind mm-hmm. him. So you you get that. I mean, did is that something that you you two picked picked up on as well? Kind of his his search for who he really was. I think it might have to do with how um, his nationality was considered in England, Mm. you know, Mm. where he came from. He was Parsi, but they would, they would call him um, Packy, Packy, which is totally different from what I understand. Um, I think it has to do a lot with that. And they were showing that basically he was discriminated against because of, even though he was a British, you know, resident, but that he wasn't British like the others were, you know? So yeah, that was a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. I think he understood from a early age that he was just different than what his family expected him to be, Mm -hmm. you know, and he had to find his own path. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and he was, you know, and that era was a, you know, very experimental time, Mm -hmm. you know, late sixties and seventies, uh, very experimental time. So I don't think it was, Mm. you know, he wasn't alone in that, in that search for identity. And I did a little research and found out that he had attended a Catholic boarding school. Mm. It was Catholic. Mm-hmm. And one of the early song, one of the um, songs that's on the first album, I believe. Yeah, it's on the first album. And it was one of their four original um, demos is a song about Jesus. And wow. he was not Christian. Mm-hmm. And critics say, you know, they took it, it doesn't even make sense. They, it looks like he took two different um parables and smushed him together well mm-hmm. think about it he wasn't christian he went to a catholic boarding school and he mm-hmm. had to hear about jesus but probably didn't really understand who he was and wrote this song it's it's a very interesting little rocking song and it's called jesus it's on the very first queen album hmm. well since you brought up religion um you know the zoroastrian faith that freddie's family had um, I did notice a couple of things um, that have to do with his rastrianism uh, just from my, you know, in, in college, I studied theology. And so, you know, you have to learn mm-hmm. about all these different religions, of course. And so um, Zoroastrianism is very interesting because it's kind of known as a, a religion of the conscience of good conscience. So uh, there's this, this motto, this mantra almost of Zoroastrianism that Freddie's father brings up three mm-hmm. times in the movie, which is good thoughts, good words, uh, good deeds. And um, so good thoughts, good words, good deeds is used uh, three times in the movie. And I thought it was really interesting because it, it, it marks the three different, I guess, relationships, stages of relationship that Freddie has with his identity, with his family. Um, because the first time is at the very beginning of the movie. I'm sure you guys remember Mm-hmm. Where, you know, his dad's coming home, Freddie's leaving to go to the club and his dad reminds him, good thoughts, good words, good deeds. And Freddie's like, yeah, well, how's that working out for you? Mm-hmm. And Sounds you know, like every, so, every other kid his age at that point. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And uh, the second time that his dad brings this up is at the party, the birthday party, and um, he just ignores it. Freddie just totally ignores his dad. Well, the third time, of course, is at the very end Mm -hmm. where Freddie goes back to visit his family and tell them he's going to go beyond live aid. And he's he actually tells his dad now it's coming out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. Good thoughts, good words, good deeds, just like you taught me. And Mm -hmm. so it's almost like, you know, Freddie's. like I said, you know, his his search for his identity, he's finally at the end of the movie coming to this place where he's at peace with where he comes from. And he's learned how to integrate that into into who he is. Mm. Yes. And and at that point, he is he's, he is, you know, not content, but he is at peace with what's happening to him. He's at peace with who he is. And who he's with, because you finally see him with Jim Hutton, who ends up being his companion to the end of till till his death. So it's a really good. Of course, the Catholic in me is going threes. Okay, we're using the three here. Mm -hmm. Uh, The number three is big. Um, But Freddie was a complex 
person and his faith had something, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, whether he wanted to acknowledge it or not, to do with who he became and who he ended up being. So, you know, I, I think people don't give that, don't give faith enough of a, you know, highlight in their lives. Some people don't, they, they just, they, you know, especially musicians, they don't want to admit to it because they want to admit they're the creator of their work and not that there's something else going on there, that they're co-creators actually with some, someone else. But, you know, it's, it, it, not to get heavy. It's just nice to see that they included that and whether people pick up on it or not. I still think critics are, critics are just mad that they didn't create a different movie with a different type of emphasis because, mm. but the fans, I guess, I, what did I read today? $500 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in it's, revenue. The, it's the highest grossing um, music related uh, movie uh, of all time. And oh, gee, I think did it like, knock Beauty and the Beast off the pedestal. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, Steve, you know, working with a bunch of uh, musicians all the time. I mean, uh, what did what did you think of kind of the way that uh, we saw Freddie's kind of musical um, progression and growth and how that the relationship with his life and everything? Oh, wow. That's a big question. (laughs) Not to put you on the spot or anything. (laughs) Well, I mean, everything evolves, right? You know, you learn throughout your whole life and the music evolved and he evolved and and it's intertwined, especially, you know, music. Music really gets in your soul, I Mm. think, in a way that most other arts don't, but I'm kind of biased. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, I... I think that's that's it. I mean, it all evolved, and it's it's inseparable. He, he could not have not, he could not have stopped being a musician. No, mm, not at uh, all. Because it was it was a it was you know a key a critical part of him. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, there was that scene at the end near the end where he's having trouble with his voice, you mm-hmm. know, and the mm-hmm. level of frustration, you know, mm-hmm. it's like. You know, uh, I need to get this. I need to get this fixed because that's who I am. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I, I know that as as a, as a former singer, your voice is you. It's your you are the instrument. Your body is the instrument. Everything in your body shapes what comes out of your mouth. That's why Freddie never had his teeth fixed, because fixing his teeth would have changed the shape of the sound that came out. Mm-hmm. So he never, he kept everything. That's why Barbara Streisand never had her nose done. It's, it's, <laughs> we, as, as singers, you know, that you, you learn that early on, but when you, when, the, when the voice especially is your instrument, everything that comes out is you, everything mm-hmm. that happens to you emotionally, physically, mentally affects what you do, the sound you produce. It's not like a guitarist or a pianist where the instrument is an extension of themselves. The voice is you. And that's why Freddie is struggling at that point, because he knows he has a good shot here to give himself totally to as many people as possible, because that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to entertain and make people happy. That was his goal. And he knew if he blew this and they all looked at each other when this first, you see it in the live aid, 
the minute he starts singing, they all look at each other and go, wow, it's him. <laughs> because apparently right. it hadn't been him through rehearsal. Yeah, so I yeah. think he also probably knew that it was his last major performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you adrenaline know. is a big drug. <laughs> adrenaline I actually... When I went to uh, see this movie again, I wrote down this quote that he says at that that practice um, that I just loved. And I thought it kind of summed up um, what you all are talking about. He says, I won't be their victim, their AIDS poster boy, their cautionary tale. I'll be what I was born to be, a performer who gives the people what they want. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, you know, the the movie really... Um, portrays him that way. I think it really does a great job of, yeah, I mean, all of the band is definitely part of the movie, but like, you know, like we said, there is this, this spotlight on Freddie and um, it's almost like to me watching it, I took it as a love letter from the rest of Queen Mm -hmm. to Freddie um, and showing the world what they thought of Freddie and who they saw him as. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's, there's another moment I'm remembering when uh, he is making up and he's kind of talking to them about how they're in Miami's office and he's talking to them about what a jerk he's been and all that. And they send him outside I don't know if you noticed this, but maybe it's just me looking for stuff because I'm highly analytical, but he's standing outside and Miami's talking to him and Freddie is right in front of a gold disc to where it's surrounding his head and it looks like a halo. I saw that. Did you catch that? that. I missed that. I was hoping that was a coincidence and not sort of any sort of (laughs) glamorization of him. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it kind of goes back to this whole idea of it being like a love letter to him, you know, like um, like they really wanted to. Uh, I mean, even, you know, there's this line where, you know, when Freddie's telling them about the AIDS that he that I think it's Brian who says you're a legend, Freddie, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's uh, all those little moments that, you know, uh, but I thought I, I wondered if I was the only person who saw that or not. No, I, I missed I it. That. I missed it completely. <laughs> but Brian, Brian is the, um, he's the deep one. I mean, he's an astrophysicist mm. for God's sake. Um, yes. and, and he is the deep one of the group and he seems to be, and he's the spokesman. He really always has been. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it was their group. I mean, it started out as him and Roger and I forget the other guy's name that left them. And that's a true, that's part of a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how Freddie fills in. So that part is basically true where it happened. Exactly. Maybe not, but it's, it is kind of true, but Brian is always, he's, he's deep and he's caring. And like I said, after Freddie died, they could have just folded it and said, you know, good night, we've done it. And they have kept the brand going and not cheesy either. You know, not like a, um, (laughs) the only way I can say not like a Gene Simmons kiss, you know, family jewels type of way of keeping the brand going, but they have done, they've been respectful. Maybe it's cause they're British. I don't know, but they're very, very respectful of, of their talents, of the past, of the fans that still are with them. And there are plenty of them. I, I've the last queen concert I went to there, there were people bringing their grandchildren 
Mm -hmm. to this. So it's, it's almost like if the Beatles had stayed together, because they do owe a lot to the Beatles and they've said that before the Beatles did it first. They -hmm. were able to capitalize on it, but the Beatles never stuck, you know, never stuck and stayed together. They did in one shape Mm -hmm. or form or another. So imagine if the Beatles could have done the same thing. Yeah, they, yeah, they made a reference in the movie, you know, about most bands don't, was it, most bands don't die, they break up or something mm-hmm. like that. I'm like, yeah. I Statistically don't know they're talking speaking. about. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they pay homage to the Beatles a lot. I think in the beginning they were, they were looking at the Beatles as their, their and it would make sense because they would have grown up when the Beatles were at their heyday. Right. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean... The, we could go on and on. There's just so much. This this movie is fantastic, and uh, there are so many different layers to it. Um, but that's all that we have time for. Can you believe that this has been <laughs> all of our time already? <laughs> I feel like it's just flown by. Wow. <laughs> so people enjoyed listening to this as much as we enjoyed talking about it. <laughs> Absolutely. I, you don't have to be a Queen fan to like this movie. You really don't. It, it, I mean, for those of you who are younger, if you want to go back and go to iTunes or go to YouTube and listen to some of this stuff so you can get a sense of who they are, that would be good. But I think you'll find a, they're very different. They speak to very they speak in very different ways to very different people. And they're ju- they're just delightful. And well, with that, uh, we want to know what you all think about bohemian rhapsody and about our discussion so please go to sqpn.com slash secrets and let us know or if you're on facebook go to the sqpn facebook page and leave some feedback for us you can also send an email to us secrets at sqpn.com and uh, at sqpn.com you can find all of the relevant links and show notes Uh, about this uh, discussion we've had today. So um, it's been fantastic. We want to let everybody know about this podcast and about all the other great podcasts we have. So be sure to subscribe uh, to our podcast on iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure to review, uh, give us a like, comment, share, and tell more people about it. So until next time, uh, Steve Nelson... Thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Bohemian Rhapsody. Steve. Yeah. Oh, I thought that, I thought you testing, testing. <laughs> I'm thanking you, Steve. Oh, Take your bow. Sorry. I was, sorry. I was, I thought you had just ended the show. So uh, happy well, I to couldn't, be here. I, I couldn't, I couldn't leave out Joanne. Joanne, thank you for joining us as well. Thank you for oh, having you. me. And thank you, Angela, for doing a great job putting this all together. Oh, thanks, guys. Well, once again, yes, that's my name, Angela Cialana, and want to thank you all for listening to Secrets of Movies and TV Shows here on StarQuest. Everybody out there, keep headbanging and keep yourself alive. This is Don Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcast you love. Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give.